0: be seated. We'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. And as they're doing that, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles if you brought one with you to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, we finished the book of Acts today, and uh, it's a little bittersweet for me. Um, goes out uh, with quite a bang there at the end, so I'm excited about uh, getting to that with you. Uh, Before we pray and focus on the message, I want to, uh, by way of announcement, just mention a few things. Um, One is, uh, Jason mentioned the Thanksgiving, kind of the, the covenant family meal next week, and Um, If there's any way that you can uh, show up at that, I really want you to be there. Um, I know you're coming back from Thanksgiving, festivities, who know where in the world you're traveling to, Um, but this is kind of a unique thing that we do, and we're going to share some stories. We're also going to share just some kind of new, uh, just kind of what God's doing in in our church and the life of our church in this season. We're launching some new initiatives right the first of the year that we want to introduce you to. and. Uh, if you're new here, I really encourage you to be here. It'd be a great time to meet some new people. If you're not connected to a community group already, they all have like, assigned things to bring. Um, just, I think our theme is like Mexican food, because there's nothing more godly than that. And, um, and you're tired of eating turkey, right? So, uh, so just bring some chips or something, and, or don't bring anything. Just come and spend some time with us. That'll be next Sunday evening. Um, Also, uh, by way of announcement, um, our Christmas mission offering. And uh, I want to just tell you about, if you're new with us, uh, since the beginning of the church, we have used uh, Advent season really to kind of help turn our hearts and minds and uh, hands outward. Um, If you're not careful, things become about you, and so we want to really kind of continue pushing us to be outward-focused, outward-living people. So uh, our encouragement, our exhortation, our challenge to you is to match whatever you spend on Christmas gifts with a gift, financial gift towards a Christmas mission offering. And um, some of you, some some of our people budget for this all year. This might be new to you. And if that's way overwhelming, that's okay. Just give what you can. Uh, Maybe you can give far above that and give extravagantly. Um, I'd encourage you just really to pray and ask God what he might have you do to participate in this. And you can get creative, uh, our kiddos get creative and try to earn money around the house and the grandparents to try to add, add to this. Um, some of our guys take you on part-time jobs during this season, and I say all that just because this is just not an offering to us that we send away and we don't know what happens to it. Um, we have four just anchor mission partners, um, some church planters uh, really around the world at this point that we give this money to, uh, even closer to home we have Stephen in New Orleans, we have the Shreveport Church, uh, the Hub, Um, you probably are familiar with their uh, ministry to meet felt needs and share the gospel, give access to a restored life to all kinds of people, maybe you serve with us at that, they're one of our anchor partners, the the PAL people, which is our adopted people group over in Southeast Asia, we've got missionaries working there, some of our money goes to that, and then to an adoption fund. Um, that we are always growing as more and more of our people are taking part in this, so we 'll take that money uh, we take it we normally have like uh, the offering the last sunday of <clears throat> of the of the month uh, I guess it would be the twenty third right twenty third we 'll have the offering, and uh, Christmas Eve services we kind of announce whether we hit our goal our goal this year is thirty five thousand um, dollars which is which is a lot of money for us uh, so um, I just want you to pray about that and ask God about how he might have you participate. Let me say a prayer we're going to jump into um, in the back. God, thank you for um, today and for all of us who are gathered. God, I pray that we're not gathering just out of tradition or ritual, uh, although that's not bad in and of itself, the, the rhythm of gathering. there would be something more that we've gathered so that we could hear the God who opened his mouth and spoke out the universe we could hear him talk to us specifically and personally. So God, as we open your word, may it go forth as seed and be planted into hearts that are ready to receive it and it would produce a harvest in our lives in increasing measure. Bring conviction of sin, bring healing, physical, spiritual, emotional healing, Those that are weary and weak and just walking through just the heaviest of seasons, Lord, I pray that they find great encouragement in your gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you've been with us, uh, I've said before, we've been in the book of Acts for almost a year now, and uh, we were in the book of Luke for three years. So for about four years, we've been studying uh, this author, Luke, and his writing first, uh, how the Holy Spirit moved through the person of Jesus in the book of Luke, the gospel that bears his name, and then how the Holy Spirit moved through the church in the book of Acts. And it has been such a rewarding study for me to be in this. Um, We talked a few weeks ago as we kind of, you know, rounded this last corner, the last third of the book of Acts, um, really uh, some people call the trials of Paul, but it's not really about Paul per se, at least he's not the point. And it's not about uh, suffering or perseverance or difficulty. All those themes are certainly in it and they make it into our sermon every week and they're going to again today. But if we back up a little bit and we take a 30,000 foot view, right, of this entire book of Acts, how the Spirit of God moved. You remember way back uh, the commission that Jesus gave in Acts 1 and then the uh, Spirit falling on Pentecost and then just the church began to move and do this incredible thing and Now it's reaching even into Asia, ultimately to Rome itself, some 3,000 miles away from Jerusalem. When we back up and look at this, we really see that this is about faith, about Paul's faith, about the faith of the early church and a God who keeps his promises, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. The book of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I want you to think about that for a second. Impossible to please him without faith. He's not primarily interested in your work for him, although that's good, or you're serving him, although that's good, or even you using your gifts and your resources for him, all that's good. It's primarily about your faith. Do you really trust him? The words of the song that we just sang, how true do those ring to your very heart, that Jesus is better than your comfort, than your victory, in your suffering. Is Jesus better than all these other pseudo- satisfactory gods that seem to vie for our attention? Do you really trust them? This is really about faith, and it's not even the uh, amount of your faith. Jesus said it only takes a mustard seed worth of faith, but it's about the object of your faith. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your circumstances? Are you trusting in your spouse or your kids or your boss? Or are you trusting in God? the God of the Bible who sent his very own son Jesus to be a display of what that really looks like. The question is, do we really trust him? So I want to overview some of this kind of last turn of the journey with Paul. I read an article about uh, maybe 20 years ago now, and I have no idea who wrote it, um, but these have really stuck in my mind. It's I've changed the sermon like eight times this week. There's just so much here. We could go so many different directions. I I really feel God leading me specifically in this way. Since this is primarily about faith, I want to walk through the six, six phases of faith. The six phases of faith, and we're going to review Paul's story in this. We're going to wrap up the book at the end with four kind of very practical things for you personally and for us as a church. Asking the question or looking at how God builds our faith. And this first phase is the dream phase. Someone call this, instead of the dream, maybe you would call it this uh, specific, name this, you know, God's call in your life. How all of us, as we walk with God, as God calls us radically in and he makes us his sons and daughters and we walk with him, then he forces us out with his message and his gospel and he sends us specifically to a certain people. Scripture says that God has appointed our time. He's appointed the neighborhoods we live in. You thought you chose your neighbors. You don't. God actually chose your neighbors. And he planted you there and he gave you this kind of generic calling that he calls all of us. But then specifically, he burdens your heart in a very specific way. And we see that in our church and for different seasons, we've seen people that uh, this culture of adoption that's risen up in our church. And I don't believe that everyone is called to adoption and foster care uh, specifically. I, I do feel like the church is, everyone in the church is called to support it in some way. we got about a third or maybe even half of our church that is walking in this in, in, in some way. And this is a specific calling that God would begin to, you know what it's like, right? Well, you get this kind of holy discontent that God begins to like... Uh, this rumble in your heart that you're not just quite at peace and you're praying, God, okay, what step are you asking me? What dream are you giving me? God always starts with this call in people's life. He always starts with this dream. It always calls you into something so much bigger than yourself. A dream from God is always something that's going to stretch you. It's always going to require great faith. It's always much bigger than who you are. Paul calls uh, names this his calling in Acts 16. We see, as he even recounted his own uh, journey just a few chapters ago, that God had specifically called him, his dream, his calling on his life was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And as he steps in obedience to that, that clearing begins to get clear, that, that calling begins to be clearer to him. He says in Acts 20. And now behold, if you remember this a couple weeks ago, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that in prison and afflictions await me. See, this dream, much bigger than who Paul is, way past his comfort zone, but look at his attitude as we should respond in the same way. But I do not account my life of any value as precious to myself if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We see that happening, right, in the life of Paul. He gets this dream, this calling. We see it happen in the person of Noah. Remember, Noah gets this dream. He's got to build an ark. Or in Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Or in Joseph, I'm going to raise you up so you'd lead your people. In Nehemiah, I'm going to build a wall. In David, I'm going to build a temple. Again and again, we see God's call. Maybe I would ask you what... What is God calling you to specifically? Sure, very, again, general calls in Scripture, very general things that God wants us to be about, but there are some very specific things even for you. The next phase is the decision phase. This is where we make a decision that we're going to step toward what God is calling us to. You have to decide to act on the dream that he's given you, the call that he's placed on your life. There's always a risk, again, involved in every dream and everything he's called us to. Remember, this is a phase of faith. We've got the calling and now we act. Again, the chapter later in Acts 21 to review Paul's answer to this. Remember, Paul tells him that's what he's doing and they don't want him to go. And they verse 13 of Acts 21, then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I, am not, I am, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I love this too, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. We see Paul's decision to act on what God was calling him to do. I believe very firmly God's calling us as a people. He's putting a dream in your heart, something about the world that is so broken that's not right that it's broken. He's raising you up as a leader to start a nonprofit, to start... Serving at crisis Pregnancy Center to adopt a kid, to start a little Bible study at your work, to reach out to your lost neighbors that really annoy you. He's, he's doing something there, right? He's, he's stirring something in your heart. We see this decision phase, and here's what, I think think most of you are tracking with me now, right? You kind of get this, you understand this, the dream and the decision. Most of us expect the next phase of faith to be deliverance, right? So God gave us the dream, we took a step of faith, and then we see the culmination of that dream. But let me tell you, it doesn't always work that easy. Very rarely, if ever, have I seen it work that easy. The next is delay dream decision delay Paul goes to Jerusalem he's obedient to what God's calling him to do he shows up he meets with the brothers you remember this he meets with James he says hey God's doing this incredible thing they're like yes that's amazing but hey the Jews here hate your guts Paul like this is not going to be good for you I I tell you what in order just to kind of Go above and beyond reproach. What I want you to do is, you know, participate in this Nazarite vow and don't eat these certain things and go there and pay this money just so you'll show them that, there's, that you're for them and you're not against them. And he does all these things and he's there worshiping. And then the Jews, uh, probably from Ephesus, see him and start this riot and they nearly beat him to death. And then he's interrogated by the Roman tribune. And then through the Jewish council, the high priest, he's beat again. He's finally sent to the regional leader, Felix, and he waits in prison for two years. It says in verse 27, So he sent for him often and conversed with him. I think I have this on the screen. When two years had passed, yeah, in Acts 24, when two years had passed, had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Most every faith journey that God calls us on is not dream, decision, deliverance. It's dream, decision, delay. And maybe, maybe your faith journey represents that even some today as you think back of God's calling on your life. And again, I think this is in different seasons of our lives for sure. We see delay. This is the space between this is David being an anointed king, and you remember all that went into that, and decades of serving Saul, who hated him and chased him down, that Dave, David didn't just get the promise or the dream or the call and then become king overnight? No, he, he did. not this is Joseph getting the dream and waiting in prison. This is Nehemiah getting the dream and having to go back and fighting every kind of uh, battle from without and within. This is Abraham getting the dream when he's he's old in years and his wife's barren. There's just no possibility. And then it just, still there was a delay. It didn't happen immediately. And remember, so Abraham tried to take things into his own hands. And just got worse. Delay with David as he didn't even get to actually build the temple. Delays are a real part, and many of us, if we're not careful, we give up in the delay phase of life. Let's get to some new material. The next phase is difficulty. We ended last week with Paul appealing to Caesar on his way to Rome, finally out of prison, reasoning with the regional leaders for years and years and years. It's probably been almost three years since Paul has first appeared in Jerusalem. Now he's finally headed to Rome. Remember, he thought he was heading to Jerusalem. Jesus appeared to him while he was in Jerusalem and said, Paul, really, the, the dream was not Jerusalem. Really, really, it's to get the gospel to Rome. I think God does that too. He kind of clarifies our dreams as we walk in obedience to what, he's, what we can see. And now we get to difficulty. Let's jump in chapter 27 of, uh, of Acts. Acts 27, we'll start at the beginning a lot of scripture I just want to thank you for being patient as we've covered the last several weeks we've covered two or three chapters a week and this this is this is no different and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the uh, Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in in a ship of that word which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus this is the guy from uh, we see him a few chapters ago a Macedonian from Thessalonica, and the next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly. Remember, Julian was the—he's 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 the head centurion, leading all of these uh, warriors, and putting out to sea. From there, we sailed under the leaf of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra of Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days, and we arrived with difficulty in Nidus. You might underline that, arrive with difficulty. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but there's, this is going to be again and again. We arrived with difficulty off, off Nidus, and the wind did not allow us to go any further. We sailed under the lee of Crete and Simone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the Sea of Lassia. I love this, even this Fair Havens. It's like, uh, it's like the beach house you'd go stay at, right? Called Fair Havens. And yes, it's nothing but, it's nothing near that. Verse 4. It says the winds were against us, verse 7, they sailed slowly, verse 7, they arrived with difficulty. Verse 8, they coasting along with difficulty. Finally they reached this place called Fair Havens, but it's almost ironic because there's nothing fair or easy about it. Oh, this stage is not over yet for Paul. Down verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, their direction, they weighed anchor. And they sailed along creek close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. I mean, they, they brought their sails down. Running under the lee of a small island called Calda, we managed to, <clears throat> with difficulty, secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground and insert us, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they sh- threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. And this is a storm these guys are in, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Talk about difficulty. These sailors, these soldiers, these prisoners. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, talk about bad storms, we're not even eating. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete. We didn't read this passage before they left Crete. He got up and gave this big message of, hey, listen, this is a really bad idea. And this is him. Basically, he could have stood up and said, Hey, I told you so, but he didn't do that. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Again, if you write in your Bible, that is just a phenomenal verse to, under, to underline. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Now, this is not Paul saying this with land insight. This is Paul saying in the midst of this no small tempest, he says, we can't see the sun or the stars for several days. We know we're about to die. Paul's faith remained strong. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight. The sailors suspected that we were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms a little further. They took another one and 15. So fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down their four anchors and the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. These these sailors wanted off. They thought that, you know, that this thing was condemned. So the sailors went to the lifeboat and they said, we're going to get out of this. We're not staying with these, these people. Some of them are cursed. As they're about to leave, Paul says to the centurion who's running the ship here, hey, if they leave, they're not going to make it. As day was about to dawn, Paul, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing, therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all and broke it and began to eat. You kind of see some of these parallels even with Jesus. We don't, we're not going to have time to talk through all these. It's pretty, pretty neat to see. Then they were all encouraged. <clears throat> they ate some food themselves. There were in all 276 people on the ship. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing even the wheat into the sea. It's been a difficult run. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1 that on multiple occasions they despaired for even their life. They didn't think that they were going to make it. And you would think after a season of difficulty, maybe you've walked this, after a season of long difficulty, that then right around the corner would be deliverance that you would finally see. But there's another phase of this that's not maybe so encouraging. It's dead end. I think this is the scariest stage. This is the phase of our life and our journey where so many of us just give up on God altogether. We've endured delay and difficulty after difficulty, and there just seems to be this tipping point where we're like, okay, God, maybe you're not who you said you were. Maybe you've forgotten me. Maybe your eyes aren't on me. Maybe Jesus didn't know what he was talking about in Matthew 6. Maybe you don't know the number of hairs on my head and we give up. I mean, how easy is it for us to despair in the season of difficulty, much less dead end? Let's continue in verse 39, chapter 27 now. When it was day, they <clears throat> they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, they hoisted the foresail and the winds in the wind, and they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel ground. The bow struck and remained immovable. The stern was being broken up by the surf, and the soldier's plan was to kill all the prisoners, including Paul. That sounds like a dead end. Lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, again God gave such favor here kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The rest could <clears throat> float on planks or pieces of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. Are they in Rome? No, certainly not. They're 600 miles off course to be precise. This little <clears throat> island of Malta now they don't have a ship, they have no provisions they're all <laughs> they're all the provisions are in the sea they themselves are in the sea little to no food and certainly no one wants to go back on on the water this doesn't seem like deliverance and surely paul has time to question god's call or god's dream or god's plan i love this they end up on the island of malta says in verse 2, the native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a the fire and they welcomed us all because it had all began to rain and it was cold. Paul feels like things are turning around here. But when Paul had huddled a bundle of sticks and put them in a the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. He has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. No ship, no provision, and now snake bitten. As if you ever had those days where it just could not get any worse, and then it gets worse. No matter how bad the day has been, a viper biting you makes it worse, right? Like this is like like the worst, if I can imagine, hot water heater goes out, the washer breaks, one of your kids break their arms. This is a bad season. You lose your job. And then you go home and you get bit by a snake. This is a dead end if I've ever seen one. But again, Paul's faith is not in himself. It's not in his circumstances. Certainly, it's not in the crowd around him. Enter the final stage, which is deliverance. Verse 5, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, saw no misfortune in him they changed their minds they said you know what no he's a god now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to a chief man named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days and it happened that his father lay sick with fever and dysentery Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him and When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. You see the culmination in this journey of Paul as it finally turns around. Flip over with me if you can, really quickly, to Second uh, Corinthians one. I don't think I have this on the screen, but First Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse eight. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. <clears throat> For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received a sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not only on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. What an incredible picture as Paul's recounting this idea of finally finding deliverance. And I think there's really three kinds of deliverance that happens in a believer's life. First, there's circumstantial deliverance. That's where God just breaks into the story and changes the whole narrative. This is parting of the Red Sea. They had no idea. God led them there. He was going to be victorious, but they saw, you know, Egypt, army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. God steps in and just delivers it. He just changes everything. He just departs the Red Sea. We see this again and again and that does happen in some circumstances some people's lives but not all there's also a personal deliverance this is one where the circumstances may not change you're the one that changes God does a supernatural work in your heart and he allows you to persevere through really difficult things you've got a difficult call in your life and a difficult road to walk or a difficult season ahead of you and you pray and cry out for God to change things and there's nothing wrong with that and you should do that. But We also at the end of the day trust that God is sovereign. That he's going to do what's best for his glory and for our good. Sometimes the deliverance is personal deliverance. He just, he's changing us. Again, Paul would point us to the third kind of deliverance which is an ultimate deliverance. Which is Heaven. The ultimate deliverance. When things get really difficult, this is where our hope is. It's not in this life anyway. It's not in for things to get more comfortable anyway. Ultimately, even if God does step in and part the Red Sea, there's, there's more difficulty, there's more opposition to come because our ultimate deliverance is one day in heaven and that is certainly Paul's anthem. In this story, what did deliverance look like? Well, an entire island came to Christ. Today, the island of Malta is still the most Christian place in the entire world. As Paul went there, healed all these people, brought the gospel to Malta, 98% of the people who still live on that island claim to be Christian, which is pretty, pretty incredible, right? What Paul thought was a dead end ultimately became the gateway to new ministry, new opportunities. He healed the people's diseases. We skipped a few verses in there just to get through because of time, but, oh wait, there's a ship there. Just happened to be a ship. They get on it. All the provisions they could possibly need. He's going to make it to Rome. After all, And when he gets to Rome, it's like this, like this, just no big deal. You know, he just kind of shows up there. I think it actually. Reads. In verse 16 of chapter 28. And then we came to Rome. Paul was allowed to stay with himself, stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Here's kind of the application that I want us to go home with. First, don't give up when things get difficult. You just have no idea what's around the corner. You have no idea what God's trying to do. He, you have no idea what diversion and difficulty in your life is opening up a door of ministry for other people. Paul could have easily so given up on Malta. I, that would have been a tipping point for me. If I would have survived the ship, and I get there, and there's a warm fire, and I'm like, man, okay, God, you did it. And then the viper comes out, the, out of the fire. That is just, that would have been it. Okay, I'm done. Forget about it. He's shipwrecked. He swam the sword, He builds a fire, gets bit by a poisonous snake. If anyone had a reason to give up, it would have been Paul in the most intense, difficult season of his life, or well, maybe other than Job's life. I've never seen maybe a more difficult one. He just keeps looking for opportunities to put his faith in Christ, again and again and again, again. Church, don't give up when things get difficult. There's a reason. We were talking about this this week. Of me, we were meeting with our elders and several of our those that are on our pathway to eldership. This became the topic that things are just really difficult. One of our guys with us just talked about this, this is the season of life he's walking in. It is just hard and it's so difficult. I used to call my dad and I would tell him about how difficult ministry is, as if he didn't know he served as a pastor for more than 40 years. One of the things he would remind me of all the time, he said, you know what, Luke? That's why Paul said, I fought the good fight. He didn't say, I danced a good dance. I fought the good fight. Because it is a fight. And sometimes we sing these words, the song to these words, Jesus is better, and we sing them through tears. So wanting our heart and the heart of hearts to believe this. But yet knowing that we struggle with our flesh and our doubts and everything that comes against us. And we feel like we just cannot take one more bit of bad news. And yet it comes. All the while, God telling us that He's with us and He's for us and His grace is sufficient for us. Church, don't give up when things get difficult. When you're walking obedient to the call in your life, things are going to be difficult. Next, focus on following Jesus, not the destination. Focus on following Jesus, not the destination. Here's what you'll find out, that most people the dream that actually God put in their heart, it ended up looking way different than what they originally thought. Remember Paul's trying to get over to Bithynia, and they're like, you know, angel tells him, hey, you know, you can't go this way. He sees the guy from Macedonia in the vision. It just looked different. And then Paul thought maybe it was Jerusalem, and then Jesus shows up and says, you know what? It's not really Jerusalem. I really want you to go to Rome. As we walk in obedience, God will give us more clarity on exactly what he's calling us to the focus is on following Jesus, not the destination. I think a lot of people, that they they use this excuse that when they get to the destination, they're going to start using their gifts. When they get to the destination, that they're going to start operating in obedience to God. When they get to the next stop, they think that they can only be useful. Well... When we have kids and we're going to get serious about this or when, when, when our kids get in school and then it's when they get into you know, high school and then when they get in college and then when they're you know, grown and when they have grandbabies and then it's retirement and we're all just full of excuses of we're going to start following Jesus when it gets easier and it just doesn't get easier. That's why even the passage that Jason read earlier that you know, Jesus' seeker-sensitive call for discipleship was to count the cost, to take up your cross and follow me. If you're not careful you're going to live your entire life waiting for a better opportunity a better stage of life only to see your entire life lived for yourself what a tragic waste that would be what would following jesus look like in your life today today what's obedience look like today what's the spirit leading you to do today to sacrifice to give up to repent of what if the destination was never the point it's almost always never the point. The point is following Jesus. And often, most always, the destination will not be a place that you ever expected. It will likely be much greater. I'm preaching to myself here. This is the phase that I get caught up in, as uh, attaining the goal of the destination. Some of you that know me, you've heard this story before. I felt about... Uh, Man, several years before we ended up planting this church, I felt God's call in my life to go plant a church, and uh, I dismissed it. My dad was a church planter. We grew up in pretty hard circumstances, uh, not a lot of money, in cities without. With our family, weren't near, and so as God started stirring in my heart to be a church planter, I just wasn't really ready to get on board, and I fought Him for that. You know, God, He is so persistent. So I thought, well, I'll tell Ashley, and if, uh, you know, if she's on board, then you know, this must be the real thing. And I told her, and she looked at me a little crazy and then said, you know what, you know, whatever God wants us to do. I was like, man, okay, not the, maybe that was my first out. And then I went and told my dad, who initially tried to talk me out of doing it because of the hardness, but then you know, gave us his blessing We came here, we planted the church, and about three years into the journey, things weren't looking anything like we had hoped. We had planted the church, we had grown to nearly 300 people, things were going really well, and then some circumstantial things began to happen, and the oil field kind of dried up, and the A-10 wing over here at Barksdale shut down and moved to Arizona, and some other different things happened, and we looked up, and about probably three months time, 12 weeks, that we had lost 150 people. These were people not just like, you know, these people we loved, that we did life with, that we were discipling. They were our best friends. Things just weren't going well. Nothing was getting accomplished. I was in, in near depression probably. God used Ashley to speak some truth into my life. When I get this way, no one wants to be around me, I promise you. I'm just... She asked me one morning, what do you got to do today? And I said, well, I need to go do this and meet this. I got to meet with this person, and I'm, I'm sure they're probably leaving the church. And just discouragement. We, we had just taken a big hit to our finances. All those people leave. All the pastors had to cut their salaries by 20%. Like this is just, this is just not sexy church planting kind of stuff. Ashley said, hey, Luke, can't you just walk with God and love people today? Like that, let that be the goal, to walk with God and just love people. I just, man, God just blowed me over with that. I went to Starbucks and sat there outside a the little patio table and really just wept because my focus had moved from just following Jesus to accomplishing something great for him. And his call in my life was just to follow him, just to love God and to love on people. Here's the third quickly. Don't base your identity in the opinion of the crowd. This is a terrible thing to do. I think I wrote on here, let your identity come from Christ, not the crowd. Paul's perseverance was a result of his trust in God. That God was who he said he was. Think if Paul was the kind of person that would let the opinion around him dictate the direction of his life. The Jews hated Paul with a passion. The Roman officials think he's gone crazy. The people of Malta, this is like the best story. Like they think he's cursed, a murderer at one point, and then they think he's a god the next. Man, you can just never trust the crowd. You've probably had experience like this. I know I certainly have as a pastor. This is like, I just laughed all week at this, of people thinking, man... Even saying with their voices, Luke, man, you, you know, you are so anointed to, to 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 pastor and lead and you're walking in your gifts. And then the next time I see them, you're, you're Satan. You know, they're just so upset about something. Paul finally gets to Rome. He's ready to make this huge defense. Remember all the accusations, the people of Asia. All these people, Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and he's peeled to Caesar. He's finally showing up in Rome, and he is, like, ready. He's been thinking about this the whole time. He's got his defense down. He's going to go in there and tell these people what's up. Verse 17, chapter 28. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had not done anything against our people, or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into in the hands of Romans. He goes over his story. They examined me. They wished to set me free, but... Because there was no reason for death penalty in my case. But the Jews kept objecting. I appealed to Caesar. Verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Verse 21. And they said to him, we hadn't heard anything, man. That's really a big to do about nothing, right? We have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here reported anything about you. They've spoken evil about you. If we're not careful, we let a few angry naysayers determine our identity. Finally get to the place of Rome, there's no thing even against Paul. We've got to find our identity in what Christ says about you, not what you feel, certainly not what other people think. This is true for us as adults, certainly, but it's even man, more true for our kiddos. We live in an age where social media dictates sometimes even how our day goes because our identity is so wrapped up in approval. I look at my kiddos and I just want them to base their identity in Christ, not what happens, not what people think of them. look back at our study of Ephesians I have time to go through this whole thing, but about even the book of Ephesians, what it says, who we are in Christ. You may feel abandoned, but in Christ you're loved by God. You may feel condemned, but in Christ you're spotless and above reproach. You may feel down on your luck, but in Christ you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, Ephesians 1 tells us. You may feel neglected by others, but in Christ you've been chosen by God. You may feel defeated by temptation, but in Christ you have died to sin's power, and Christ now lives in you and through you. You may feel dead and lifeless, but in Christ you have resurrection life coursing through your veins. You may feel like you're not making a difference in life, but in Christ, you're raised with Jesus and seated in the heavenly places, and he has blessed you to be a blessing. You may feel broken, but in Christ, you've been made complete. In Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, adopted into his family. In Christ, you're a partaker of the divine nature. In Christ, you're a beloved child of God. Church, we've got to stop basing our identity on us, what people think about us, but start basing it on who Christ is in us. Let me close out the book with this thought, this last point of application that we should live a sent life. The very end of the book, go with me there in verse 30. He's in Rome. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then it's just done. Well, what happened to Paul? And what happened to the dream? And what happened to Caesar? The book's kind of a cliffhanger. It doesn't really bring us much closer. closure. We're not told what happens to Paul in his dreams. Why? Because it's really not about Paul. It's really about the spirit and the gospel moving forward. We know from history that eventually Paul was released. He went to Spain for a little bit, preached the gospel there, was rearrested there, taken back to Rome, was beheaded by Nero. I think it ends this way kind of Luke's way of saying to the Neros of the world that you can stop or kill or imprison any of us, but the Spirit of God is going to keep going forward. You can't stop the gospel. Paul is dead and his spirit remains. And so here we are, Covenant Church, 2,000 years after this. We're living in the, the next chapter. Acts 29, the church is still moving. The church is still spreading. The gospel is still working. And we've been put here in northwest Louisiana for a very specific reason. To reach people no one else is reaching. By doing things maybe no one else is doing. And my prayer for us is we would live sent lives, that we would see every day, every action as a missionary extension of God and his gospel. And that the torrential wind of the spirit that we see filling the church in Acts, to scatter them to the very ends of the earth, would blow through us, even here and now. I want to take a few minutes and pray for us, and I want you just where you're at, if you would just Would you just talk to God and ask Him what He's leading you to do? We're going to take communion in just a minute, but before we do that, I. Maybe you would just ask that. God, what are you calling me to? Maybe you know what it is. He's been stirring in your heart for a long time and you just refuse to take any step of obedience. Maybe today's the day that you make the resolve in your heart and life again to do that very thing. In a room this size, there's probably people who aren't even part of God's family. My encouragement to you would be that you would take a step of faith today. Cross this line of faith and place your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord. Others may be in the season of difficulty or delay or dead end. Place your hope in Christ. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and I thank you for your spirit that sustains us. that is working in our lives even now. Lord, and you know our stories. You know them better than even we do. You know what's around the corner. The call in our life, the dream you've placed inside of us, the gifts you've given us, the neighborhoods you've put us in. I pray, Father, that we would be found faithful. We would endure to the end that we could say, even as Paul did, that he had fought the good fight. He'd run the race and finish the course. Lord, continue to do an incredible work in us through our body, through Covenant Church in the months and years to come. Pray for the other churches that are surrounding us in this place that you would do such an incredible thing there. Lord, that you would drive us all from this stage of apathy into one that we are desperate for you to do some incredible things or would you do that in us in our city you bring your lost sons and daughters that are scattered around would you bring them to one of us this week as we would be able to articulate the gospel to them as they're searching for something God as we take communion here in a minute I just pray that we would be reminded of the depth you went to provide salvation for us. You didn't leave us as orphans, but you did what you needed to so that we would be part of your family. We thank you for the cross. As we come, we proclaim your death again and again until one day you come to take us home. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I'll be staying in the back if you need one. Our communion servers are here. You just come when you're ready.